Well, we certainly love Tom and Susan, don't we? And what a privilege and, and joy it is to know that when we give to our March for Missions offering, we're giving to support faithful brothers and sisters like Tom and Susan and like so many others. You know that when we give, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, give on December 17th, specifically to our March for Missions offering, but every penny of that offering goes straight to do missions. Some of it stays here in the state of Texas to do missions. Uh, some of it goes to the Annie Armstrong offering for North American missions, goes straight to the field. And then, of course, a portion of that goes to the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions that goes to support the Bonerts and goes to support so many thousands of other missionaries around the world. And church, if we're not about the gospel going forward, churches being planted, lost coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, then I'm not sure what we are about. We have an opportunity to give on December 17th. I hope you will be praying about that. That's coming up uh, next Sunday. Um, you can be turning in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21. Actually, you can go to 22 first. Chapter 22 is where we'll be. And as you're turning, you know, one of the ways we serve, of course, is through giving to missions. But I want to put before you another opportunity to serve. We could use some help in our greeter ministry. Folks, to just stand and welcome people into our, our times of worship. Uh, folks, to stand at our, our welcome center desk and to greet visitors, help connect them with a Bible fellowship group. Just let them know, hey, how do I get around? How do I be a part of, of this church body? I would love to talk to you more about that. Tracy Kane would love to talk to you about the greeter or welcome center ministry would you please pray about serving in that capacity as well? We'll be in 2 Samuel, finishing up chapter 21 and into chapter 22 this morning. And we'll be thinking about this, this topic of the, the Lord's invisible hand in your life. Now, a few years back, I was coaching a, a kindergarten and first grade basketball team, if you can imagine any coaching happens at that group. But, but I had this group of, of eight kids, and, and they were wonderful. Some of them were uh, pretty impressive, actually, with their basketball skills for kindergarten first graders. But we did have one kid on the team who was a little bit on the small side, and he had a, a hand disability so that he really wasn't able to dribble the ball very well at all. Uh, he couldn't shoot very well at all. Now, because of the league, you know, he played in every game and he played just as much as any other kid. But throughout the entire season, he was never able to score a basket. And it kind of became discouraging for him. But in the final game of the season, I did something that he wasn't expecting and something that he didn't know was happening at the time. I told his teammates that uh, at some point in the game, and I would let him know when, I wanted them to get him the ball under the basket. And some of these kids were pretty big and energetic. I said, I want you to block out everybody else. Just let the kid shoot. Just let him shoot till he makes the basket. And I was, I was directing the actions of the, un, of the other players in a way that was unknown to this other kid, trying to help him score. Turns out my invisible hand here behind his shot opportunity still wasn't enough. 
And so what started out as kind of me behind the scenes really became very visible. And I actually, near the end of the game, I went onto the court and I got the kid the ball and I lifted him up because we had the goals lowered and he dunked the ball. And I mean, it was like the highlight of his year. He was so excited, even though probably if he stopped and thought about it, that wasn't happening apart from some outside intervention. Something happening behind the scenes that became very visible on the scene in this game. You know, these sort of things happen to us really all the time. Uh, Things happen behind the scenes that we're not aware of in our lives until in moments they become very visible and we see actually what was happening. And it becomes obvious that others were working on our behalf. And church, this is what happens in our passage today. Now, I think we would all admit that that we've seen God at work in King David's life. Have we not? Over this past year, we've seen lots of examples where where God was, was on display. He was working. He was guiding military battles. He was conducting all of history according to his purposes prophesying of of a coming son of David who would reign forever. I mean, all of these things, God is at work. Here in chapter 22, though, what has been mostly behind the scenes, perhaps uh, in, in a sense what has been mostly invisible, chapter 22 makes clearly visible that God isn't just that coach on the sideline giving some directions, barking out some orders, No, he enters the court and he becomes seen as he truly is the main actor in everything, the main actor in Israel's life, the main actor in David's life. In church, what's true about God's role in David's life is equally true in our lives. The details are surely different. Our lives are gonna look different. The way God is at work might be different, but his ultimate purposes are the same. And I want us to see this as we read here in 2 Samuel. We're going to just start out reading in chapter 22, verses 1 through 20. So would you stand and honor the reading of God's word? Chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, the word of God says this. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him he bowed the heavens and came down thick darkness was under his feet he rode on a cherub and flew he was seen on the wings of the wind 
He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire came, uh, flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent forth, or he sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Amen. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we gather this morning with no other purpose, no other aim, except giving you praise, worshiping you for you are worthy of our praise. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the ultimate fulfillment of every promise that you have made. And Lord, as we open your word and as we consider its implications for us this morning, we pray that your spirit would be at work, that you would speak truth into our hearts and help us to rightly apply your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We'll pull chapter one in here in just a moment, but as we think about chapter 22, this is an incredible song of, of praise that David has written. And so much so that this, this song of praise actually becomes one of the psalms of worship for the people of Israel. If it sounds familiar, this is Psalm 18, pretty much. It became one of those songs of worship for God's people. And throughout the song, we see visibly the Lord's invisible hand behind the scenes. Again, we know he's been at work. David says, now look how impressively he has been at work. Look at all that the Lord has been doing. In other words, David here explicitly and he vividly describes the work of the Lord around him. And through this reflection on the Lord's actions, I think we see four significant truths with implications for us. The first is, the Lord is your salvation. Trust him. The Lord is your salvation. Trust him. Now, this is where we want to pull in the, the second half of chapter 21, where Pastor Nate left off last week. And it gives us some context to David's song in chapter 22. So in verse 1, we read just a moment ago where it says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, of course, I think as David is, is writing and thinking through this song, he's remembering the numerous battles that he's endured along the way. He's thinking of the, the enemies that have surrounded him from every direction throughout his life and throughout his reign. And he's also thinking about that old nemesis, Saul, the way that he made his life miserable at times. But in chapter 21, and I think it's no, no coincidence that the author of, of Samuel has put this right before David's song. Here in chapter 21, we read four accounts where Israel and David are at war with the Philistines. 
We know that's happened multiple times. And each time in these four accounts, they're forced to battle the descendants of the Philistine giants. In the first battle, Abishai defeats a giant. He defeats Ishbi Benob. In the second battle, it's Sibachai defeating the giant Saf. In the third battle, and this one gets a little bit curious, Elhanan defeats another giant. The text says in verse 19 that this giant was Goliath the Hittite. Does that name sound familiar? I thought it was David who killed Goliath. Well, Maybe we have some help in a parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 25 where it says, Elhanan, the son of Jair, struck down Lammi, the brother of Goliath, the Hittite. However we want to see that, God is at work. And he is working through Israel. He's working through these, these mighty men of, of, of Israel and they're striking down these seemingly unbeatable giants. That was the third battle. The fourth battle, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, struck down a particularly interesting giant. This one has six fingers on each hand, and he has six toes on each foot. Now, I don't know if that helps you get around better. I don't know if it helps you grip a sword better, makes you stronger, or what. But it is interesting, nonetheless, and Jonathan strikes him down. Now, here's the thing. When we look at, at Israel and these mighty men, and, and when we look at David, if, if we're not paying attention, if we're not really thinking, we could get the impression that David's victories, these victories, other victories, all the impressive victories that he's had in his life, we could get the impression that they happen because David is awesome. David is incredible. David is a warrior among warriors, and there's no one like him. And I really think that's how David's men saw things. I think that's how they felt in, in uh, chapter 21 here in verse 17, when David's kind of getting older now, and he's kind of weary on the battlefield, and they finally go up to David, and they say, you shall no longer go out with us in battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. You're done, David. You can't go out anymore. We don't want the lamp of Israel to be quenched. You see, the people seem to believe that King David is the one who saves them. As long as he's around, we're safe. As long as he's around, we're going to be able to defeat our enemies. And yet in chapter 22, we see that David knows the reality. He knows that it is the Lord who saves his people it is the Lord who is a mighty warrior. It is the Lord who cares for his people. David says when he was distressed and he cried out for the Lord, he said, the Lord heard my voice. And then we get a glimpse of, of God behind the scenes. And to be honest, it's a little bit on the jolting side and a little bit terrifying if you actually pay attention to the words there's there's the earth reeling and rocking it says the foundation of the heavens trembled and quaked there's smoke devouring fire and God came down I don't know what that looked like but I'm sure it was amazing there's arrows and and lightning and we're told the Lord routed David's enemies no contest he puts them in their place the text says, the Lord rescued David. In verse 20 says, he brought me out into a broad place, 
a place of freedom in a place of salvation. Now, church, I would, I would bet you don't have any big Philistine giants that are after you today. Probably no six-fingered men, six-toed men who are out to kill you today. But friends, you and I still need the Lord's salvation because the greatest enemy, bigger, stronger, mightier than any giant in our lives, and that is the enemy of sin, still wants to devour us and still wants to destroy us. And in these moments, listen, the Lord is our salvation just the same when we place our faith and our trust in him. Church, Israel thought they were saved as long as as David's lamp wasn't quenched. But our hope doesn't rest in the life and death of a mere man. Our hope rests in the one true king. Listen, as long as Christ's lamp isn't quenched, as long as Christ lives, we have salvation through our faith in him. And just in case we've forgotten, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God has already promised that the throne and the reign and the life of Christ is established forever. That lamp will never be quenched. Friends, whatever your situation today, whatever circumstance you find yourself in today, wherever you're at today, if you'll trust Christ, you will have salvation His lamp will never be quenched. We see secondly here in the text, the second truth, the Lord is worthy of your praise. So give it. The Lord is worthy of your praise. Give it. We've seen enough of King David throughout throughout the, the books of Samuel to know that David wasn't a perfect man. He was flawed. He made mistakes. But one thing David did know how to do is he knew how to praise He knew how to praise God. In fact, he wrote at least 75 of the 150 Psalms in the Bible. And again, chapter 22 is one of those, Psalm 18. And it's not just that that David had a way with words and and he just felt like that was his vocation to, to write a bunch of Psalms of praise. No, 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 here's the reality. It's that David, in his frailty, in his weaknesses, knew that the grace of God had captured and captivated his heart. That's what led to these psalms of praise. Notice in in chapter 22, verses two through four, all of the mys. Did you notice that as we were reading it a moment ago? Church, it's undeniably true that God is a rock, that he is a fortress, that he is a mighty deliverer and everything else that we see in these verses. But listen, David also knows that God is intimately personal. He's near to us. He's personal. He says he is my rock. He is my fortress, my deliverer, and my God. And the beauty of this psalm, listen, the beauty of this psalm for, for us is that if you're in Christ today, then, then you, can, you can say this along with David. He is, he is your refuge. He is your shield. He is your salvation. Friends, he is your personal savior. And friends, if these things ring true in your life today, if God is more than just some abstract reality, more than just some deity or some force or power out there transcendent in the universe, 
If he's a personal God who dwells in you intimately and personally through his Holy Spirit, then as verse four says, he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. In church, if God is worthy to be praised, my question for us this morning is, are you giving him praise? Does your life give him praise? Now, it's not less than what we do on Sunday mornings when we gather for praise and we gather for worship, but it's certainly more than that. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that... I don't fully understand. I know that won't come as a surprise to any of you. Uh, I don't understand quantum mechanics. That's beyond me. I don't understand differential equations. Uh, Those sort of things were never my strong suit. And I certainly don't begin to grasp the way artificial intelligence works as it seems to be taking over the world today. Those things genuinely baffle my mind. But listen, one thing I've really, truly never been able to understand is a person who claims Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, and yet they have no real desire to praise him. That doesn't make sense. Saved people are worshiping people. Saved people delight in worshiping Christ. Listen, our praise is an inseparable part of our worship. Did you know that? Worshiping people are praising people. Hebrews 13, 15 says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What does that look like? He says, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do your lips praise Jesus? Are they acknowledging who he is? Church, the Lord is worthy of your praise. Give it, sing it, proclaim it. Let your lips declare the glory and the majesty of who Christ is. The world needs to hear that. Our Lord deserves it. Let's give him praise. Third third truth we see in the text this morning, the Lord is your source of righteousness. Obey him. The Lord is your source of righteousness. Obey him. I want to continue in the text here in chapter 22, beginning in verse 21, and then read through verse 27 as we see this. Verse 21 says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, And from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. I want to ask you a question. Now I want you to genuinely think about it for just a moment, okay? Knowing all that you know about yourself, you probably know yourself better than anybody, knowing all that you know about yourself, how would you feel if I said, may the Lord deal with you according to how righteous you are? How's that feel? 
May the Lord deal with you according to how righteous you live your life. To how righteous you are. If you're like me, you might be a little bit discouraged if that was reality. You might be a little bit uncomfortable. Well, I tried. I guess it's game over for me. You know, I mean, we're just, we're not measuring up, are we? May the Lord deal with us according to how righteous we are. And so when, if we think that way about our own lives, listen, it can be hard to read the verses that we just read and not say to ourselves, come on, David, get real. I mean, we, we've gotten to know you over this last year. We know all about the adulterous affair. David, we know all about the murder. We know all about the cover-up. David, we know all about the bonehead decisions you made with regard to your children at times and, and the taking of multiple wives in a way that you shouldn't have done. David, David, really? That's not righteous. And, and to top it all off, doesn't Romans 3.10 say, none is righteous? No, not one. So what do we do with this? Well, we need to understand a couple of things about righteousness this morning. And the first one is so important. Our right standing before God is based on perfect righteousness. So we're not lowering the standard here. Our right standing before God, the only way that, that he will look upon us on that day and say, come into my presence, welcome, good and faithful servant, is if we have perfect righteousness. Now, church, the good news is it won't be our righteousness. The good news is there's another righteousness that we can claim. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made, he made him, Christ, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news this morning? Isn't that a glorious promise, a glorious gift to us? Because if the Lord dealt with us according to our righteousness, we're all in a bad spot. But yet, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That is true for us. That was true for David. By faith, we receive Christ's righteousness. But, there's a second thing that goes along with that when we think about righteousness. Those who have received Christ's righteousness, you're in Christ today. Your sin has been transferred to Christ on the cross and his perfect righteousness has been transferred to you. For those who have received Christ's righteousness, they still pursue righteousness. In our lives, day in and day out, we still pursue righteousness. John, or 1 John 2.29 says, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, has been born of Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying practicing righteousness, that's what Christians do. That's what they desire to do. They wanna honor Christ. They wanna live in obedience to Christ. They wanna practice what is a reality already in their life. We have Christ's righteousness. We desire to practice righteousness. 
Oh, friends, we know we can't do it perfectly, but it has to be that persistent desire of our lives, regularly confessing our sin before him and striving to obey him with everything that is in us. So back to our initial thought about King David, how is David righteous then? Well, here's how he's righteous. He believed God's promises of grace and redemption that would ultimately come through Christ. David was righteous through Christ. Abraham was righteous through Christ. You can go down the list of the Old Testament and if they were a righteous man, if they were a righteous woman, they were righteous because of Christ. And it's no different today. We just see how it all works out through the death and resurrection. You see, David leaned hard on on God's mercy for forgiveness and and a right standing before him and I think that's how we can, we can see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if we were to go back to that encounter between Nathan and David after his, his affair with Bathsheba and after he repented of that sin, if you remember, Nathan says to him, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die And friends, I think it's easy to just kind of move right over those words and not realize how incredible and glorious that is. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Oh, the wages of sin is death. It is still true, but the Lord has put away your sin and he didn't sweep them under this rug. He put them on Christ. The Lord has put away your sin. It's incredible. God forgives repentant sinners. Isn't that something? God declares us righteous even though there's nothing in us that is righteous in and of ourselves. So church, of course, verse 25 that we read a moment ago is true. The Lord will reward you according to your righteousness. Just be sure that the righteousness that you're trusting in, that your hope is placed in, is the righteousness of Christ alone. Or as Romans 3.22 puts it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. Trust in Christ's righteousness, then live out that righteousness in obedience to him. If you'll do that, you'll find this fourth truth to be true in your life as well. The Lord is your refuge and rock. Rest in him. The Lord is your refuge and rock, rest in him. You know, there are some things that are, that are kind of tricky and difficult to grasp in scripture. If you've ever tried to describe the Trinity to somebody, you probably understand how that works. There are some, there are some complicated matters that our finite minds can't quite comprehend, but there are other things in scripture that are really quite simple, aren't they? They're really quite simple. And so in one of the most Obvious and simple questions ever. In verse 32, David asks, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? You know the answer to that question, don't you? We've had an experience, a personal experience with God. We know that he is the only God. We know that he is the only rock of our salvation. And listen, when, when scripture here speaks of God as our rock, he's speaking of his stability. 
his permanence in our lives. In other words, it is saying that this God, he is immovable. He has no rival. He is unchanging in his promises and in his character. So church, what David is rhetorically asking in this verse is, who else but God could you ever securely and confidently tether your life and your eternal hope to? Who else? Would you hope in your own ability and strength? That's foolish. Would you hope in in friends and family or, or in a government structure to be your hope? That's foolish. Who else but God could we ever securely and confidently tether our life and our eternal hope to? Friends, David knows the answer to this question. In the very next verse, verse 33, he says, this God, this God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. If God is your salvation, If he is your source of righteousness, if he is your rock this morning, then make no mistake, you can find your rest in him. You can find your rest in him. Listen to snippets of David's confession in the remainder of chapter 22. He says of the Lord, you have given me the shield of your salvation. You've been my protection, physically, spiritually, in every way. You gave a wide place for my steps under me. You made my way secure. You made it smooth and clear before me. You equipped me with strength. He uplifts us and shows us the way forward. He says, you delivered me. You kept me. You exalted me. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's so easy for us today I'm speaking from personal experience as well. It's so easy for us today to get worked up, wound tight, and downright worried about so many things in life, isn't it? Just easy to do. Turn on the news and see what's going on in the world around us. You can get worked up. Listen to the conversations that are being had out in public, and and you might get wound tight and, and frustrated about those conversations. Take a glance at your... uh It's your bank account balance, especially during the Christmas season, and you might get worked up. Have an unpleasant sit down with your boss, or maybe get an unexpected report from the doctor's office, and you know the feelings that well up inside, don't you? We've all experienced that, and they're usually, those feelings that well up inside of us, they're usually not feelings of of rest, are they? No. So often, unfortunately, it's not the case. Well, what do we do about this? Church, the cure for the anxious and worried soul is to anchor your soul deep into the rock of your salvation. To anchor your soul deep into the rock who in the New Testament, Scripture tells us, is and always has been Christ. He is that rock. He is the strong anchor the strong foundation of our lives. That's where we'll find refuge and that's where we'll find rest for our weary souls. This hymn of King David is a reminder to us that in Christ, we're never on our own. 
We don't fight battles on our own. We don't come up against enemies on our own. We don't go through struggles or anxieties on our own. We're never left to ourselves. No, it's God's invisible hand that is powerfully at work around us, that is powerfully at work in us. Listen, whether we realize it or not, and to be perfectly honest, so often it's the not. We don't see it. I'm reminded of a, of a social media tweet from John Piper that I saw many years ago that, that just struck me and stuck with me and gave me some perspective when I think about what God is doing and how he's at work in my life and in your life. In the tweet, he said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you, you may be aware of three of them. How true is that? Some of it's our own fault. Some of us just, we would probably be overwhelmed if we regularly, every day, we had an experience of 2 Samuel 22 and we saw the incredible things that God is doing. We probably would do nothing else but just stand in awe. He's doing 10,000 things in our lives every day. And we may be aware of three of them. Friends, just know this, our God is too good and he is too sovereign to leave us to ourselves. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our praise. But listen, if your trust isn't yet in Christ today, if you're here this morning and you don't have a confident hope in Christ that he has taken your sins upon himself and that you have been given that perfect righteousness of Jesus, if you're not yet trusting in Christ today, I want to invite you to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to invite you to place your trust and your faith in him. And if you don't know how to do that, grab some believer beside you who, who has been walking with Jesus for a while and ask him to, to share with you how to do that. And if there's nobody near you that you feel confident uh, in asking that sort of question, we're gonna be up at the front here in just a moment and we would love to share with you how you can have the hope and the rest and the peace of Christ in your life. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and what you really need to do is just to confess some lingering sin in your life. You've been letting it go, thinking it's no big deal, but you realize that lingering sin is debilitating sin. Maybe you need to deal with that this morning. Maybe what you need to do is confess a lack of trust in Christ in some circumstance that you're going through. You've been trying to do it all on your own. You've been trying to handle things in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own ways. Maybe you need to Lay it before the Lord. Let him have it. He does infinitely more than we could ever imagine in our lives. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you. Again, we're gonna be up here at the front and we would love to pray with you. It doesn't matter what that need is. We would love to pray for you. Whatever that need is today, we'll be at the front during our time of response and we just invite you to let the Lord have his way in your life, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, wow, just a, an incredible glimpse of how active you are and how amazing and awesome you are as you are at work, so often behind the scenes doing incredible things that we could never even imagine in our lives for us, through us. 
Father, I pray that this passage today has given us a strong confidence in you. That we would be able to lay aside the worries and anxieties that often plague our hearts and that we would be able to rest in you knowing that you are our hope. You are our great source of righteousness. You are the one who fulfills every promise the scripture has ever made to us. And Father, you are the one who gives us eternal hope. My prayer this morning is that if there's anyone here who has yet to place their trust in Jesus, that this would be the day where they experience new life in him. Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand as we sing?